Hello, hello to all you London legacy lovers, wherever you are in the world listening to today's show. Today, I've got a real treat for you. At the end of this week's brilliant episode, I'm going to be giving you the chance to win a pair of tickets to one of the most iconic landmarks in the whole of the City of London, the Monument. All you have to do is listen to the show and then follow the simple instructions that I'll be giving and one lucky pair will be following in the exact same footsteps of Sir Christopher Wren. The tickets have been donated to Your London Legacy on behalf of the Monument themselves and naturally we would like to give them a massive shout out right here and now. The Monument to the Great Fire of London is best known simply as The Monument and situated at the northern edge of London Bridge. In this week's fascinating episode, I had the pleasure of being taken around and up to the very top of this stunning 62-metre column by the excellent, friendly and accommodating City of London guide and welcome host Richard Smith. Not only did we get our very own private tour, but we were also taken to a secret part of the monument, not normally open to the public, so we feel really very privileged indeed. So settle down and follow us as we wander around a true piece of London history. And don't forget to listen to the very end to win yourself a free pair of tickets so you too can experience this true London gem. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. One of the things I find interesting is that you come out of Monument Station, which is right opposite the monument, obviously, and there's all these people running around with their day-to-day jobs in the city. This is the heart of the city of London, you know, finance and commerce and everything, and a lot of people are oblivious to what they're standing next to in terms of the historical significance. Well, it is extraordinary the number of people that you meet who work in the area and are, are kind of aware that it's here, but not aware why it's here or what it is. And as, the, as you come out of Monument Station, if you head down Fish Street Hill, you pass what I would say is probably one of the most extraordinary pieces of public art Certainly in the city of London, if not in, in the country as a whole, the uh, Gabriel Sibber frieze, which is on the back, um, which probably lots of people walk past and probably don't even pause so to look at. What, what's that all about? Um, the basically, the frieze was put up to as a, an allegory of the destruction of London and its reconstruction after the Great Fire. So you have the figures of the city of London looking distraught and destroyed, and then you have various uh, figures depicting the future and also the King uh, King Charles II and his brother, the Duke of York, James, helping with the reconstruction of the city. So it's a, it's a wonderful piece of carving done by the same gentleman who carved the uh, phoenix on St Paul's Cathedral, uh, a guy called uh, Gaius Gabriel Sibber, who was in the debtor's prison in the clink on the south right, side of yeah. the river. And well, to get out of that. Well, he got out of it on day release. Christopher Wren was a big fan of his work, so he paid him. Uh, he got paid a fair amount of money for the job, which helped him clear off his debts. But in the meantime, he was on a on a day release from the clink over right. on the south side of the river. So, we, you were positioning where we are in the city. Yes. Where are we? This is obviously a monument which was built to commemorate and not celebrate, commemorate the Great Fire of London going back to 1666. 
So where are we in relation to where the fire originated? Well, it is very significant. The monument is 202 feet, which is 61 and a half metres tall. And the reason for that is that is the exact distance from where the fire started, from where we stand so at the moment. Close, so literally we're standing right outside the front door. And if we were to lay the column down towards the east, we would the very flames at the top would be just down off of Pudding Lane, just off the back of Pudding Lane down Monument Street, somewhere in the middle of the road down there. And that would be roughly where the baker's ovens were that started the fire, Pudding Lane being just that street that runs just across there. So the baker himself is an interesting character, I think, isn't he? Because he had connections with royalty. Well, he was uh, what was known as the King's Baker, which is in some ways is a bit of a misnomer. He basically provided breads and uh, foods for the Royal Navy. So he was, uh, it was part of the victualling uh, of, the, of the Royal Navy, which was organised by the diarist Samuel Pepys, um, which is why he becomes known as the, the King's Baker, although there's not really any great evidence that he actually baked any pies or bread so for the king. The, uh, uh, he didn't take things. things not that we know of, although he may well have done, but it was more to do with uh, provisioning of the, of the Navy and other ships the the point with pudding lane is it doesn't reply uh, refer to puddings as in a, a christmas pudding or a, or a cake or some kind of pie it's actually referring to the puddings as in black pudding or blood pudding so um, up the street uh, at the top of pudding lane is east cheap which was one of the main markets of the city of london of the ancient city of london and it was where all the butchers were and the, they would wash the puddings which is the offal and that sort of thing down pudding lane into the river thames at the bottom of the hill and that's where it gets its name so one of the things that farriner also did and there were other bakers in the area was they also baked pies so meat pies and things uh -huh. like that because not everybody had an oven but you could buy a pie bring it to the baker and he would bake it yeah. for you because what I, I suppose what a lot of people may not appreciate is the city of london is where so we are we are recording this live that's where you're going to get a lot of background noise um, despite this being a pedestrianized area years ago back in the 1600s this was an area where food life food livestock and food came into the city to be butchered to be made to be sold at markets well exactly i mean that's one of the reasons why you have the rights of people being able to drive their sheep over london bridge as freemen of the city yes. is because they could bring their sheep into the market we are stand the monument is actually sited on fish street hill and it's built on the site of the first church to be destroyed which was st margaret's fish street hill destroyed in the fire uh, it's destroyed yeah. in the great fire uh, and the reason it was called st margaret's fish street is because they used to sell lampreys and other fish from stalls and they were licensed to do so up against the side of the yes. church up until the 1660s when the, the church yeah. burnt down so when you come into the monument just after you pay uh, as you enter on the left hand side you'll see the font there is a like a dip of stone a font which is taken from the original church is actually a surviving remnant oh, wow. of That's St nice. Margaret's Church from the uh, back to the 1660s okay so now that we've positioned it nicely, why don't we have a little wander around and yep. you can talk us uh, a little well, bit about the uh, about the outside. Well, shall we start, if we step back a little bit uh -huh. and we can have a look at the names of the uh, inscribed on the front entrance. So you have uh, the names of uh, six Lord Mayors of London who were in office while the monument was being constructed uh, from 1660, 1671 to 77. Each of them was Lord Mayor for one year. It was completed under the, uh, under the mayorality of Thomas Davis. Probably the most uh, famous one would be Robert Viner. He was the uh, king's goldsmith. So when the monarchy was restored in 1660, he was charged with uh, recreating the crown jewels. So if you ever go to the Tower of London and you see the crown jewels, those were created under the guidance of the king's goldsmith uh, robert viner uh -huh. he was as you can imagine an amazingly wealthy man he actually ended up funding the monarchy basically on his own after a certain period of time the monarchs owed him somewhere in the 
approaching £400,000 sterling, uh, which was about one third of the gross national product at a time. A hell of a lot of money. So much money, in fact, that they couldn't pay him back. So they had to give him a pension of £25,000 a year. Uh, he's quite an extraordinary gentleman. He was also visited um, on one occasion by the great diarist Samuel Pepys, who went off to borrow some money on behalf of the king. Uh, and he showed uh, Pepys a very strange curiosity that he kept under his table he had a small box and he opened up the box uh, and in the box was the dried body of a servant boy who died of consumption uh, which was one of his uh, party gifts that he would show to How people nice. when they came around for dinner not something that I would particularly want to I'm do while I was eating those, those <laughs> probably <people>. not <laughs> no. probably not um, and then you have the, so each of those men all of their names are written out in uh, in Latin uh, you can see at the beginning it started under Richard Ford and then finished under Thomas Davis. Is this Davis. all the original? Um, this is all the original uh, inscriptions and carvings. Round on the north side there is an inscription which depicts around? the uh, tells the story of the of the fire. It's particularly interesting this one because this is not sorry this is no longer complete. Um, you have it in Latin carved into the stone and then below there is a uh, a plaque which has the translation into modern English. Uh, the most important point is that there is a sentence missing which refers to the fact that originally the Great Fire of London which this commemorates was said to have been uh, caused by uh, a Catholic plot uh, and in the 1800s that was removed uh, as that was no longer deemed to be uh, an appropriate, yes, that was no longer deemed to be an appropriate sentiment but basically it runs through uh, a brief summary of what, uh, what happened. Uh, basically what happened uh, 3rd of September 1666, uh, the fire starts just over there in Pudding Lane, uh, it then destroys something like 30,000 houses, 90 churches, umpteen livery halls uh, and takes the city a huge amount of time to get back. Because I don't think people again. appreciate how extensive the fire was. Obviously, the city was very different in those days. Well, the city was very compacted and, uh, and very small, but it, it would have, uh, it was also at that time, you're only one year after the Great Plague, where something like a third of the population of the city had died. So the city was in a very uh, decrepit state in any way. Things were not being properly maintained. Uh, it had been a very dry, hot summer, which is another reason why the, the fire spread so quickly. But if you, if, you stay, if you walk from here, you would have to walk all the way to Smithfield to get to the point where the fire stopped so it raged for five days one of the reasons being that we are in this location are very close to the old port and there would have been a lot of combustible materials right. here yeah, I was going to say I'm guessing most of the properties in those days would have been timber well everything would have been timber framed they also had jetting so that they would meet the lane, lanes were much narrower than they are now and the buildings would almost touch at the very top and all being wood and with thatched roofs they were very, and it was very dry it was very easy for uh, them to catch light the wind was also blowing unusually from the east rather than the normal one which just blows from the west which then blew the fire back into the city rather than it would have if it was blowing to the west it would have blown it out towards the, yeah. the I'm countryside. I'm guessing another contributory factor probably was the fact the, uh, the fire brigade was uh, very small and in its infancy in those days. Well each, uh, each parish was charged with having to provide their own fire service which basically involved buckets of water yeah. and big sticks with hooks on them to pull buildings down um, there is the uh, the wonderful story of the Lord Mayor of London of the time uh, Thomas Bloodworth who was an extremely wealthy merchant who traded all across the Far East and uh, into the Near East and the Levant uh, so he'd done all these amazing things however he is only remembered for one phrase and that was he came down to Pudding Lane saw the buildings on fire and said something that a, an old lady could, um, pardon my French, uh, piss this out. Yeah. And uh, um, he got that he, one wrong. <laughs> he got that one wrong and went back to bed. Um, basically, what they tried to do was pull the buildings down uh, with hooks to create fire breaks. Um, that only really became possible once the 
armed forces and the guards got involved with the Duke of York. So if we go around onto the freeze, we can okay, actually see go. them depicted. So we're just wandering around to the far side now. And we can look up at the, at the great freeze that I was talking about earlier, which depicts on the left-hand side the figure of the City of London, looking all slumped, and you'll see the winged uh, Father Time trying to lift her to, to her, her feet. Uh, and above her you'll see the city in flames uh, and the buildings crumbling. And then you look to the right and you see a very majestic, almost Romanesque looking figure of the King, King Charles II. Just behind him is his brother, James the Duke of York. It was James the Duke of York who particularly uh, encouraged, he's brought troops into the city to uh, quell all the disturbances and also to uh, synchronise the destruction of buildings to create fire breaks, which eventually helped to bring the, uh, the fire under control. You will then see up at the top there are two figures uh, which represent wealth and prosperity. Uh, they are the future, there is uh, science and reason and liberty, the, these ladies in the centre, and they are all helping to guide the city to this glorious future of trade oh, and uh, domination. It's also interesting that there's an image there of, you say that's Charles II, that's who was the monarch, ruling monarch at yes. the time. Yes. Because I think there was an idea, uh, one of the design ideas, that he was to have his own statue at the top of the, uh, the column. There but was the idea that we we're going to put a 30-foot statue of, uh, that was one of Wren's original ideas. However, Charles himself was against the idea because he said he didn't want to be blamed for putting out, for starting the fire. <laughs> so he would rather that they did something else. I personally think the, the gilded flame that you have at the top is much more It's much more representative, isn't it? And yeah. it also then harks back, it, that is then copied again if you go over to Paternoster Square, just by St Paul's, you'll see a modern version of that that was put up with a, with a similar flame to heighten the uh, links back to, to this original monument and this amazing pillar. Okay, so where's, where to next? Uh, we've got one more freeze one more to side. look at. One more, uh, we're now back in Monument Street again. So basically the, on the, we're now on the south side uh, of the monument and there's another uh, huge Latin uh, script uh, on one of the panels and this one is talking about the work that Charles particularly the King Charles II and James the Duke of York did in quenching the fire and in putting out the fire so what, a lot of the efforts that are described artistically by Sibber in his frieze are then detailed in much more detail in this side and all the magnificent work that they did. I mean, there is an interesting link, particularly with James, the Duke of York, because he becomes James II, uh, who, and was overtly Catholic. And given that we've had this issue already with yes. the uh, Catholics being blamed for, for starting the fire, he was then ousted by a Protestant king and his, uh, and his granddaughter, William, the, William of Orange. So there is a, a sort of strange link between the, the popery uh, allegations and the future of the guy, one of the guys who actually helped to save the city. Okay. okay, so now the bit we've been waiting for. Now we're going to oh, do some or, or dreading. Now we're going to get physical. <laughs> okay. So we're now heading inside. It's a very narrow entrance. Hello there. Uh, we're now heading inside uh, the very narrow entrance and the staircase as we, spiral staircase, as we're going to make our way up to the top. So how many steps do we have here on this so staircase? So we're, we're now going to have 311 stairs. Uh, once we get up to the top, I'll explain a bit more about the uses of the monument, but it's, uh, it is significant that every step is exactly the same height. They were retreaded in 2009, so they're not the original, but if you look very closely along the edges, you will see the original steps. Oh, right. These are black uh, limestone, British black limestone, and if you look very closely, carefully on the way up you will see some uh, fossils in the limestone and I'll try and point some of those oh, out excellent. to you because there are some ammonites which very uh, aptly mirror the spiral of the uh, of the staircase Brilliant. that we're going to climb. So Let's go, I think we'll stop recording as we go now because I don't think people want to hear me breathing hard and showing how unfit I am. 
So first, first of all, <laughs> that uh, we're all a little bit. Well, I'm particularly out of breath. How many steps did you say that was? That was 311 steps. So 311. Uh, Felt like 3,011. We are now uh, 160 feet, or about 48 meters above the above the street. But I have to say, as you come out the, uh, the door there onto this uh, platform, the views are absolutely breathtaking. It is stunning. So, and we're caged here, and you say. Maybe you'll tell us why we're caged in a bit, <laughs> because there are some fairly grisly reasons why we're caged here. But uh, uh, you do some talking while I catch my breath. Tell us a bit about the view where we're looking out onto. Okay, well, just, uh, I mean, firstly, we if we look out towards the east, we've got wonderful views of the upper pool of London, the upper reaches of the of the pool of London, with Tower Bridge running across the centre there, the HMS Belfast over on the right. Looking over to the south, you can see down as far as Crystal Palace out in Sydenham, you can see a, a very clear view of the Shard, not surprisingly. <laughs> if you keep looking east, you will see some... Uh, buildings on the top of the hill in the distance there that's Shooter's Hill which is up above uh, uh, Woolwich and the, the Royal Arsenal there then just along to the left you've got the if you like the modern uh, the second city of London in a way the modern financial district down at Canary Wharf with all of the development there ahead of you just in front of us you will see uh, the top of the Tower of London some spires of some Wren churches down to the left and then we come round and we're into the sort of modern cluster of all the new uh, super architect uh, super tall glass and steel building so you've got the walkie-talkie you can see the gherkin you've got a bit of a corner of the scalpel the cheese grater 22 bishop's gate the new monster building the natwest tower which is now called tower 42 uh, a, a nice uh, lloyd's building there and then as we come around a bit further if we walk around to the other side uh, we get a great view up Gracechurch street and then up of king william street towards bank junction uh, in the distance you see the three uh, towers of the barbican yeah. Uh -huh. development uh, the Rothschilds building just in front of us that one with a strange cube on the top uh, and then you've got a wonderful view of the Dome of St Paul's Cathedral and then over in the distance in the it's quite murky today but you see that the, uh, I think it's official title now it's the BT Tower BT given tower, my age I always, tower, I I always refer to it as the uh, post, post office tower, tower. Yes, me exactly but it's exactly the same <laughs> age as me <laughs> it's exactly the same age as me and you can almost gauge a person's age by how what they call that building yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly when it was built because that's when I was built as it were uh, and then you're looking out towards the west you've got another view looking down the river towards you can see as far as Waterloo Bridge uh, you've got uh, outside of Temple all the trees there just on the right uh, and then coming around past Waterloo and the Tate Modern and then just behind the cranes you've just got a bit of a glimpse of the London Eye and then down to the left if you follow the cranes down you will see the, the Victoria Tower down in Westminster and you can just make out as well the uh, Tower of Westminster Cathedral yes. down there yeah, as can. well and then over to the left you go down across South London um, down towards the Strata at uh, Elephant and Castle as well. So you've got this wonderful 360 degree view of, of the city. And if you look directly down us from here now, and we're looking down to the south, you can see Fish Street Hill running down to the church of St. Magnus the Martyr. And there's a wonderful clock just over the alleyway there. Yes. That's the old entrance onto the old, old London Bridge. So what you're looking at there is the grand ceremonial route into the city of London, Fabulous. which is one of the reasons why the the monument was landed here because at the moment it's as we said before it's a little bit off the the main track but it back in the 1670s when it was constructed it was on the most important road uh, into london and they were people would have coming up straight up from there let's take a very quick break just to remind you if you love the show and would like to get involved grab some cool stuff get shout outs on the show 
have us create your very own London Legacy show, or even meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. Well, I can't stress enough how, what a beautiful view this is, 360 degree view of the whole of London, the city of London, and that the mind sort of boggles as to what uh, Christopher Wren and the other sort of uh, people involved in the construction of this would, would be thinking you know, if they were standing up here looking around at all the modern construction. Well, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you think back to, to Wren and Hook, I mean, they were the, the great scientists of their day. One of the things that I love the most about working here at the monument is that, as you just did, when you walk up those stairs, you have quite literally walked in the same footsteps yes. as Christopher Wren and Robert Hook. Yeah. You know, they, and for me working here, I find that quite uh, extraordinary because it means I'm actually working in the same place that those gentlemen worked in, you know, two of the greatest uh, scientists, uh, polymaths that this country have ever produced. So. Yeah. Uh, that personally for me is one of the great things about being here as to what they would have imagined it was said that um, when it was first constructed um, you could see all of the 50 churches that Christopher Wren and his associates people like Hawksmore and Hook that they built you could see all 50 of those spires nowadays I think we've counted you can see about 15 or 16 of the Wren churches from up here uh, you go back to the 1760s and uh, Boswell who was a, a friend of um, Samuel Johnson, he came up here and said it was uh, amazing to be so monstrously high in the air. So what he would have made of some of these uh, truly monstrous buildings around us would be quite extraordinary. He'd probably suffer from altitude sickness or something. I think he probably would, <laughs> or, or sheer fright. I mean, one of the things I think it is also important to notice that although we are relatively low in terms of, of modern uh, buildings, you will, as you said, we, you do get this fantastic panoramic view. And that's down to the protection that the building is, that the monument is given by the City of London Corporation. The planning department, as you know, if you look around, you'll see Shall all we the- just walk around the other yeah. side? Because I think we're gonna get a bit blown here with, and might affect the sound quality. Let's just come around here a bit. I think it's a bit more, bit more, bit more sheltered That's here. It. I think, yeah. So, as I was saying, if you look, you'll notice that none of the buildings around here go up more than about nine floors, uh, and that is part of the planning uh, from the City of London Corporation to ensure that the view of the monument remains uh, sacred, as it were, so nobody's allowed yeah. to. So, recently, in the last few years, the building just to the north of us, the uh, Skanska building was rebuilt but you can see that they've uh, only allowed up to about nine floors so in a similar way to St Paul's Cathedral which is a protected view the monument view is also protected so that you can uh, still see the city around it. Uh -huh. So when it was first uh, constructed um, presumably it didn't have this sort of wire cage all the way around the platform where we're standing now the viewing platform so what was here before? Was it like some wooden um, barriers? Or? There, was a, there was a little sort of iron uh, railings around the, around the lower part, but pretty much where you have the, the ledge today. Uh, this, this current cage was put up in, the, uh, in 2009 when the, when the monument was restored and the, the, the um, flame was regilded. Uh, prior to that, from the 1890s, there was a, a full sort of ornamental uh, Victorian ornate wrought iron cage. If you go back before that, it was pretty much open to the elements. So when Boswell came, you would feel quite I exposed. Would. I would feel quite exposed yeah. standing up here if there was no real barrier other than a little handrail. If you uh, look at any of the um, images that are held in the London Metropolitan Archive, you can see the sort of uh, small sort of iron it's, railings it's around not the wide outside. At its narrowest point, I don't know. You could just about shoulder width apart, isn't it? Really? Exactly. I mean, it would be tight, and if it was, it's quite windy up here, and if you didn't have this near you, um, there were some unfortunate people. There's said to have been more people who. Uh, met their demise from the monument then died in the great fire of London. 
so that was one of the reasons why the the, the cage was put on to protect people from uh, from from falling off. When you say make their demise, I believe there was at least one accident. Um, someone trying to look after his. You had a pet eagle up here or something. There were, there have been a number of uh, there have been a number of accidents. There's also there was a in the 1700s there was a a sailor who who did a sort of extreme abseiling event and sailed down to a uh, to a pub on a rope. Uh, <laughs> sort of like a zip wire down yeah. to the pub in Gracechurch Street. Uh -huh. uh, there was also another guy who apparently brought his donkey up here uh, in the 1700s as well. Uh, and as I said, there were a few. There were probably one of the most more recent celebrated events was back in uh, 1913. The suffragettes occupied the monument. Uh, they they locked the uh, attendants downstairs in the right. in that small cupboard that uh -huh. you saw where yeah, the ticket yeah. offices uh, barred the doors and came up and unfurled banners and threw uh, leaflets to uh, yeah, yeah. to the waiting crowds below. There's a wonderful photograph, uh, again I think it's in the uh, London Metropolitan Archive which shows a huge crowd of men and it is purely men uh, and just these two women uh, being led out by a couple of policemen which uh -huh. is uh, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah. And I think there was a three or four, you know, more suicides from up here as well. There were. Uh, bizarrely, I saw there was, I think, at least three bakers. I don't know what the significance of that was. <laughs> well, maybe there was some link with, uh, with the fact that it the was... I'm still being accused years <laughs> later. Well, they do have... Uh, there is a plaque over in, in, uh, in Pudding Lane where they're sort of trying to... The baker's company trying to atone for the fact that one of their members has supposedly uh, burnt down the uh, the city of London. Uh, however, it's... I mean, it's worth pointing out that Farriner himself was never charged with any crime. And in fact, no. there was a... An unfortunate Frenchman, uh, Robert Hubert, who was uh, executed for the crime of starting the fire. Uh, sadly, he couldn't have started the fire because he wasn't in London when it started. He was uh, he arrived yeah. two days later on a boat from France. But, I was uh, going to say there's no smoke without fire, but that's probably a bit, <laughs> a bit below the belt. So what else is uh, going on up here? I mean, obviously, if we look up to the top, well, if you tell look, us a bit about the uh, the urn at the top. Well, so the urn at the top is, uh, is gilded with... Uh, gold leaf it's ceremonially there to to represent the flames of the city burning down in 1666 but it's also this building is more than just a commemoration and a celebration of the rebuilding of the city it's also a, was a very important scientific instrument yeah so, no, i don't that, think a lot of people are aware of that until they come here are they well no i mean it's uh, it's it's also linked to the the lack of knowledge or the lack of public knowledge shall we say about the uh, robert hook who's much more overshadowed by other people of the time um but robert hook was uh, one of the um uh, founding members of the royal society the wind's picked up again robert hook um was uh, charged with doing lots of experiments for the royal society and uh, it's believed that robert hook gave the original design for the monument as a scientific instrument. So uh, when we started the climb, I mentioned that every step was exactly six inches yes. tall. So the reason for that was that you can do pressure experiments to t work out how air pressure changes with height. They also used the central shaft, which is 15 feet wide, as uh, to do pendulum experiments. And in order to prove the rotation of the earth, if you hang a pendulum down the center of the monument and rest it on the, the rim of the cage at the bottom, it will do a full 360 degree route around uh -huh. the monument over the day to prove the rotation right. of the earth. They then also use this wonderful building as a zenith telescope. So whenever I tell people to come to the monument, I do say it is a chance to climb a telescope. Okay, If anything else you've never done, I very much doubt you've ever climbed a telescope so before. The telescope <laughs> was removed some time ago. Uh, well, the, basically it's a zenith telescope, which means that the top of the flame would open up. Robert Hooke would lie down in the basement and through lenses would be able to observe the stars. Um, if you go to the Science Museum at the moment, there's an exhibition about tall, about science in the city uh, and they've got some images of Hook lying down and some of the things that he did. Basically, it's all part of the early 
experiments in the search for longitude. However, as I pointed out before, because we're on the main route in and out of the city of London, the readings that they took of the stars were not accurate because of the vibrations caused by all the traffic. Uh-huh. Uh, so, which is part of the reason why a lot of the science was then moved right out into the country down over in that over direction, Greenwich. down towards Greenwich, yeah. uh, where Flamsteed and others could work in quiet and peace and clean air and everything like that. I mean, I think for Hook, the most extraordinary thing about Hook is he's largely forgotten, but he is one of the great scientists of all time, certainly uh, in this country, and if not uh, in the world. I mean, the things that he did were extraordinary. We talked about uh, the Great Fire, obviously, after the fire, and the city needed to be rebuilt. Uh, Hook was one of three surveyors of the city of London, uh, and it's believed that he surveyed himself something like 3,000 sites in the city with roughly one third of the city in just four years on his own while also helping to build this wonderful uh, building while also doing all these other scientific experiments. While he was doing that he worked out that if you could have enough poles as you were doing your surveying you could work out the curvature of the earth if you were able to cover those over a great distance. Um, He was also responsible for the very uh, a book called Micrographia, which was the first uh, investigation and drawings of what you could see through a microscope, which was quite extraordinary at the time. Uh, he was the first man to see the spots on Jupiter's moons. Uh, he has uh, the first man to use the word cell in biology. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, absolute legend, and yeah. yet nobody knows who he is. Sadly, he fell out with um, a much more famous scientist called Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton used a lot of Hooke's research uh, and then didn't uh, acknowledge that. Hooke got very annoyed but Newton became far more famous and the legend has it that Newton as the president of the Royal Society made sure there were no images of Hook for anybody to see. How true that is I I obviously don't know however um, Newton certainly did have a uh, propensity to borrow other people's research and not acknowledge it. The same thing happened to Flamsteed <laughs> as well. That's what they call it in, mo- yeah. <laughs> in modern times, yes. Okay, shall we start to head down? Yes, when you're ready. Do you, you want me, me to this, leave? You told me this is the hardest bit. Well, the thing but that you need to worry about is what we call monument wobble. So if you go down too quickly without pausing, I'd recommend pausing about halfway down okay. because otherwise your knees will start shaking. But before you go... It's like the reverse of the bends, is it? It is reverse of <laughs> the bends. But before you go, do have a look straight down the centre of the the column so you get an idea of just a how high you are and what it's like to climb a, a uh, telescope okay right well i don't think i've got uh, what did you call it monument, monument wobble, wobble. Mon- <laughs> monument wobble. <laughs> well i think that's because we paused a couple of times the, the, uh, to have a look at the, so we walked, the wonderful view yeah we walked all the way down to the bottom feeling feeling okay again now on terra firma which is nice so what are we going to have a look at now? Then? Um, well, firstly, in order for, for doing that, you will get one of these wonderful uh, certificates. I get a certificate. Uh, a certificate. Can, oh, my um, parents and my family will be well, so proud of me. You can add it to me. your CV, put it up <laughs> on the wall. Uh, it gives you a little bit of information about the monument, but also you have on the on the front of it this wonderful uh, 18th century oh, uh, engraving of the monument, which is uh, the original, of which is held in the. That's lovely. LMA. Thank you ever so much. Um, I'm going to cherish that. I'm also Thank going you. to show you um, what's underneath the, where we leave the baggage. So ah. if you're, I'm just going to lift up a sort of okay. secret door. All right. Oh, there's a secret door. You timed that very well because you're going to get to see something that you won't get to see. So ah, you're going to find out. This, if you look down there into the, into the red light, that is a secret laboratory. Ah. So originally, this Amazing. was a scientific instrument. Originally, it was a telescope. And you would lie, the gentleman would lie on the floor, open up the top, and they would look at the stars back in the 1670s. So this was the, uh, the place where Robert Hooke would do his experiments. Um, now it's, there are various monitors down there. How do you get down there? And there is a, another trap door, which we will reveal in just a moment. Uh-huh. Okay. Can I take a, take a quick picture of that? I'll just hold that. Of course. Panic. 
Mr. Mannering. Oh, it's still recording. That obviously I didn't do that. So we're now opening so now we're open a secret the, trap door. The secret trap door. You'll see a very, very narrow entrance. And I'm going to follow you down because you, you, know, you know the way down here. I do. You kind of have to twist yourself around and then go down and mind your head. As you go okay, the, here goes. Yes. So welcome okay. to Robert Hook's. Uh, Crikey. I do feel privileged. And so if you look right up above you now, you can see we've opened up the. Uh, the so we're in the, the dome of the uh, of the cellar where Robert Hooke would have done those experiments I was talking about. If you look very closely, you'll notice mostly it's like the rest of the building. It's made of Portland stone from Dorset. But you'll notice there are some terracotta bricks here. These are almost certainly going to be Roman uh, because after the Great Fire, there was a lot of rubble lying around from old buildings. And um, as with many of Wren's churches, a lot of the facades are behind the facades. You'll find bits of old rubble and things like that. So you'll see here there's some... Uh, some old terracotta so that's almost certainly going to be uh, Roman yeah, uh, as well. Um, so we're now obviously way below the street level. Uh, there's another little piece there as well. Yeah. Uh, this area is not open to the public for obvious reasons because it's nearly impossible to get into. I would have thought health uh, and safety wouldn't allow it, quite frankly. <laughs> nearly <laughs> killed myself getting down. It's the of trying to get in here, but it's, uh, it is one of the great hidden places of London. And as I said before, when you have uh, the honour of. Uh, being a custodian of the guardian uh, of the uh, of the monument and uh, able to come into little places yeah. like this is quite extraordinary. Oh, I feel very privileged to be here. Wonderful. It's fantastic, and that view right from that from where we are here right to the very top that's amazing. Just to think he would have been laying here on his back. Well, that's what I said. Yes, he would have lay on his back, uh, looking up at the stars uh, and probably cursing the traffic outside, which is probably something that uh, still goes on three hundred and forty years. Than, uh, yes, really but if you think that um, you probably could have. Uh, you probably would have taken three or four hours to cross over London Bridge at that time with the amount of traffic. It's the only place to cross the river. Uh, it would have been extraordinary uh, to to have been working here with uh, with those with those great guys. So we've just come out of the uh, I don't know what you call it the basement area where all the uh, experiments were conducted, and it's not easy to get to. So I can well see why that's not open to the public. This. Um, this monument, uh, this uh, visit has actually tested me more physically than I anticipated, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased for that. So let's wrap this up as we're now standing outside again, the, the main entrance. So any final sort of passing thoughts on uh, the monument itself? Well, as I, as I mentioned when we were upstairs, it is, uh, you know, it is a pretty... A privilege and a pleasure to be uh, to be able to work yeah. in this incredible building to work in the same building that uh, Christopher Wren and Robert Hooke worked in uh, I feel fortunate to have sort of stumbled across working in a place like well, this. Well I wanted to ask you how do you get involved in something as special as this? Um, well for me it was purely by by a sort of a, a strange coincidence of chance I happened to read an incredible book about the Battle of Trafalgar uh, and at a similar time I uh, was in a pub with my father talking to one of his friends and we had a long discussion about Admiral Nelson and Trafalgar and all that sort of thing which is kind of linked in a way to this because the the, the maritime links with uh, longitude but uh, what happened then was uh, a couple of weeks later I was uh, again talking to my father and he said oh you never guess what that guy does and he told me he was a tour guide and I thought oh I could do that I was very bored with the sales jobs that I was doing and I thought I needed to do something else so I then ended up uh, working on a tour bus for the uh, summer of the Olympics and then uh, I came to work at Tower Bridge and the Monument uh, for the winter of 2012 and seven years later I'm still here and still loving it. Uh, I'm also now a, a qualified City of London guide as well so uh, it sort of sent me in a completely tangential uh, 
direction in terms of career, but something that's really, really, really fulfilling. No, it seems like it's very close to your heart now and something you're passionate about. Well, uh, I mean, you smiled, I, you smiled all the way up and all the way down. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always been passionate about the history of London anyway. I remember when I was a child, I mentioned right at the start of our conversation about it's what makes you a Londoner when you come here. And I can remember coming here as a child and I've got pictures of me sort of eight, nine years old here and on HMS Belfast when that came in in 1971. So I've got, and my grandmother particularly was always telling me stories about London and, and things like that. So it's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about anyway. So then when you get to work in a building as significant as this, I mean, uh, I mean, I would argue not just in terms of the, you know, we've looked at the wonderful art, we've looked at some of the amazing stories, we've climbed up, we've got the amazing views, but it's also very much, and we joke about it sometimes, it's like the centre of the universe, this building, because without this building, you wouldn't have started the process that gave us longitude, gave us, the, in a way, the British Empire all starts from this point, because you can't control the seas unless you know how to navigate, and all that navigation starts no, this building so here so it's, it's such a historically important site in and so many aspects exactly and as you said right at the beginning so many people walk past it and have yeah. no idea of the significance yeah. of it well, so. i'm guilty of that and I, I, will, I will never do so again <laughs> i will always walk, walk past here you know comprehending and understanding with a smile on my face and thanking you guys so as uh, regular listeners to the show will will know that we always ask our guests on the show to recommend one or two places that are personal to them whether it's a walk a museum a pub a restaurant whatever it may be this is slightly different today because our personality isn't an individual but it's it's a it's a amazing piece of history but Richard being closely associated with um, the, the, being a tour guide and representing City of London here what places you, you've got to go with some places that you work with otherwise you're going to get you know you're going to get kicked here aren't you a bit so what places can you going to talk about uh, well firstly I was going to mention uh, a, a building that I mentioned when we were upstairs which is Tower Bridge uh, as I mentioned, we do work at Tower Bridge as well, but it is one of those iconic places that, again, if you're a Londoner, you should go once and have Absolutely. a look. Uh, if you can time it when there's a bridge lift, you get to see the bridge opening through the glass floor. But even if you just come on a regular day, catch the views of the river, there aren't that many places in London where you get a sort of eight, 10 mile view across the city uninterrupted. And it, it's a different time and a different space when you're on the bridge. The other one for me, very personally, would be to tell everybody to go to the southern end of Crystal Palace Park in Sydenham to see the uh, Victorian dinosaurs, which were put there uh, for the Great Exhibition um, back in the 1860s, if you've never been. They are extraordinary representations of... Uh, make-believe dinosaurs that don't exist uh, they're very uh, personal to me because I grew up around that area so when I literally when I was five six seven years old I would ride around them and in those days you could even climb in amongst yeah, them must you, be very um, so if nobody's ever been there I would uh, that would be my other great no, sort of great. Odd well, recommendation two, two places that uh, have not been mentioned so far in 70 odd episodes so oh, wow. <laughs> thank you very much You're and very I welcome. guess just in closing just tell us how people can find out about you know accessing this wonderful monument how they can find out more about it on social media or you know book tickets um so you can turn up on the day obviously you can go to uh, monument.org.uk uh, which is our website which will give you all the details about opening times the possibility you can also do joint tickets where you can buy a ticket for here and tower bridge which will save you a bit of money as well we do uh, family tickets for joint tickets as well uh, as i said you can just turn up uh, we also do uh, school visits so there's a lot of information there because uh, the monument the great fire of london is part of the national curriculum for six-year-olds so we do get a lot of uh, year two visitors but uh, families come particularly uh, to do with that as well so go to uh, monument.org.uk and there's all the information yeah, you need and I want to thank the organisation the City of London Corporation uh, for allowing us this uh, I don't know if it's unprecedented but this this you know access into all the private 
private bits and pieces. Wonderful, and, and for your time as well. Well, it's been so, our pleasure, yeah. Thank you very I'm much. Glad you're able to make it. And Richard, no, it's glad been an absolute treat. Thank you so much. Okay, so now it's competition time. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode as we went back in time to a period just after the Great Fire of London and walked in the footsteps, literally, of the legendary Sir Christopher Wren. Now, if you want to take in the breathtaking views of London from the top of this stunning piece of classic London architecture, then all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and scroll down to the bottom. Simply add your name and email address and one lucky winner will win a pair of tickets to the monument. The tickets are open-ended without an expiry date, so you'll have plenty of time to book in your visit. The winner will be drawn at random by me one month after the date this episode goes live, so don't forget to fill in and provide your name and email. On behalf of all the good people at the monument, I wish you all the best of luck, and don't forget to keep listening to future episodes where we will have more goodies and free tickets to amazing venues to give away. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy.